0: back it's that time again it's range anxiety time 30 years of automotive experience in 30 minutes i'm your host martin donnan intro track today by aussie icons in excess and they're iconic iconic icons maybe too many eyes in that sentence but their track original sin and it's great because geez in my time being around uh, motor cars and in the automotive game i've come across some pretty original sinners most of them most of the memorable ones being under the guise of building production road cars out of back sheds sometimes big businesses and sometimes cocking it up but sometimes doing it really well today you see it's a bit hard to to fathom exactly what i'm talking about because every magazine you pick up especially australian ones have a new xyz you know car on the cover um that's been home and complied and sold in australia and and i suppose my friend rob herod is the king of that these days with his herod performance and his association with ford performance us and ford motorsport you know he's able to take a mustang get factory backing in the case of the spec or aspect and you know put this thing out through dealerships and that's awesome but there's too many people trying to do the same thing and it's not as diverse as it used to be. Rob's got the Mustang thing, buy the bowls, and so he should have after all these years. And But there are other people trying to tag onto that and come up and there's about 20 different version aftermarket Mustangs you can buy now, notably only one with factory backing. Um, but it's boring, particularly because, you know, once upon a time you used to be able to buy Commodores and you know at least there was one different flavor and then you had little subsidiaries or big subsidiaries of little companies like you know trd that did uh, upgraded i don't know orions or whatever they were and and hiluxes with superchargers on them and stuff like that but you know the recipe now is all pretty boring even though it's good and, and the cars are getting a lot more chance of working today in 2020 than than they did when i was a young whippersnapper yeah it's my birthday today don't remind me i'm one year older Grr, don't want to know Back in the day, my goodness, there were some there were some good ones, there were some bad ones, but more to the point, there was a lot more engineering that went into to building a a production. I'm doing the the inverted commas with my fingers here, you know, like Doctor Evil production car. Um there was a lot more that went into it than there is today. I mean, now you can buy the supercharger kit, you can buy the exhaust, you can buy this, and you can piecemeal a car together i mean we've seen that back in the day though you sometimes kind of had to do your own shit and this is where it got both interesting and challenging all in one so where did it start for me well a lot of these guys that were were building cars or trying to build cars were attracted to or normally gravitated towards me so i had my, my company fueltronics here in south australia and they We were the only people that could essentially remap factory ECUs and, and, you know, come out and and work with you and do it. There were people bringing things in from overseas and there were a couple of other, you know, self-proclaimed geniuses in the field that really couldn't do anything. But, you know, while we couldn't do a lot, there are a certain, you know, number of things we could do. So I would get at least one a month or one every few months ringing me People saying, you know, I've developed this car. I'm going to bring this car to market. You know, we need you to help us get it through emissions and program it. And, you know, I mean, I did it because I needed the money. And sometimes, you know, we got some great results. And sometimes some of these cars sold. And, you know, sometimes they didn't. Um, but here are some of the memorable ones. And, and some I used to have a lot more to do with than others. I remember there was a supercharged guy in Perth. And, and it was, uh, ooh, I think there was Sprintax. And he drove, he had a a 320i six-cylinder E34 BMW and E36 it was, sorry, and it was a coupe. And he drove that thing from Perth to Adelaide, which is like driving from LA to to New York. It's It's a bloody long way. It's a big country, Australia. And he drove that thing across country in 24 hours for me to write a calibration in using the factory ECU so that he could get it through engineering at, at Orbital, who were uh, a research lab in Perth at the time. And he, he only had a tight window because there was some reason he was in an absolute super-duper rush. And he rocked up with this thing, you know, filthy dirty, He hadn't stopped, hadn't had any chance to wash it. It was a gold colour, and I remember he had the Sprintex graphics down the side in gold, and we got it in a darker gold. It was quite a classy-looking thing, actually, back in the day. It doesn't sound it, but it was so we put this thing on the dyno tuned it up uh you know got it going pretty well i think it made all of about 180 or 200 kilowatts at the wheels pretty crazy stuff and he drove it straight back to perth like another i think it's you know i don't know the actual distance but it's a good solid 24 to 28 hours non-stop driving it's a bloody long way and he turned around he got it back there and if i remember correctly he actually got it through emissions and you know that kind of got me a bit chuffed you know i thought this was really really good so the next time i got approached by a manufacturer was um from melbourne and the company is no longer around anymore, but they were making superchargers and they were making belt-driven centrifugal superchargers. You know, people describe them as, oh, you know, what what is that? It's it's like a belt-driven turbo. But we all know a turbocharger compressor has this thing in it called aerodynamics, you know, that that is based upon. It has a compressor wheel that's developed, you know, by engineers in laboratories using witchcraft and, and actually measurement tools. And, yeah, so... I'd seen these things before. And I got called over to Melbourne, take my programming gear, and I had to program a heap of Commodores. And there wasn't actually a dyno. There were five litre Commodores back in the day, holding engines, plastics. I think they were VP, VR, and VS I had to do. And they had these um, centrifugal superchargers on them, but they didn't have a proper compressor. That's what I was alluding to earlier. They had, well, it was a proper compressor, but it had straight blades. And I looked I'd never seen such a thing. And I thought, how the bloody hell is that going to work? And it was non-intercooled as well. So, yeah, it was never going to work really, really good, was it? We affectionately um, nicknamed those things the paddle steamer. We said, look, exactly like one of the old American Mississippi or Murray River Australian riverboats with the big straight blade chopper wheel on the back. The paddle steamer. And because they made so much inlet charge and they were non-intercooled and, you know, people used to dick around with water injection then getting bits of, you know, a, a, a fish tank aquarium hose and putting pelt pins through the end of it and having a hob switch with a washer bottle to blow water into the inlet and try and cool it down. You know, it, it never worked that great. But these things, when you combined the massive amount of temperature coming out of the paddle steamer, with the inherent weakness of the head clamping of a stock 304 308 cubic inch Holden, you could actually, if you got it wrong, if you got it wrong by one degree, or the knock sensors weren't quick enough, or you just leaned out slightly or something else, you could actually see the pfft of steam <laughs> out of the back of the uh bonnet, the hood. Um, when you're in a passenger seat with a laptop on your, on your lap, you could see the boom, steam as so I pushed the head gasket, and that, dear friends was that but i thought oh oh no we've lost one here in fact i think we lost about uh, no it was only one that trip i think we'd lost another one another time they were pretty horrible things but i remember the driver who was the owner of the company and we're doing this on on roads in in suburban victoria doing like 120 kilometers an hour wide open throttle and yeah um (laughs) it it he wasn't phased. He just looked at me and said, oh, yeah, it's done a head casket. And, you know, he sort of shrugged his shoulders. And I looked at him, horrified. I just bloody destroyed this thing. But he was like, oh, no problems. And you see, back then, dinos were pretty new. And not everyone had one or had access to them. Same trip in Victoria. Oh, sorry, different trip. Same type of company I was in, Victoria. And I was performing calibration on another supercharged Commodore. And the owner of the company, he was sort of in, just out of South Yarra in Melbourne, and he made me, I forget his name now, but it was the most memorable bloody thing ever. He was concerned. I was doing some auto trans calibration because I had a bit of a name in that back in the day. God knows why. I was was mainly guessing, but we got some things to work. And he wanted me to calibrate the full throttle second to third shift in the four-speed automatic Holden, and i'm there okay we'll try that and i think everything was bouncing the rev limiter before it would shift because it was over talking the clutches in the in the whatever it was 4l60 i suppose or some horrible version th 700 or whatever the gm used in australia back then and i think we had to muck around with the mapping and the computer and rev limits and, and stuff to get it right and talk converter clutch applies whatever and so anyway, it took a long while. It took a lot of testing. So there was no dyno, and, and trans calibration is, is very hard to do on the dyno at the best of times. So around the block, here we go. And he'd come back, and no, nah, bounce the rev limiter. Around the block, here we go. No, nah, this wasn't right. This wasn't right. So about 25 to 30 different programming attempts we had of this, till eventually I sent him around the block again, and he didn't come back. And I thought, hmm, this is a bit interesting. So I waited another 10 minutes. It was only like a, a, a two-minute loop, you know, to get out on the main road out there behind South the Aran. Rah, rah, next gear, you know. And, you know, it was a 60-kilometre-an-hour zone, you know, 35-mile-per-hour zone, and there he was doing 120. So he's doubling the speed limit. He didn't come back, so I thought, oh, I'll go for a little wander. And, yeah, I saw what had happened. He was all right. He was perfectly all right. But the four police vehicles and eight to ten officers that had him on the ground um yeah they probably weren't as all right you see unbeknownst i forget his name too unbeknownst to this poor victorian guy was that every time he would do a lap of the block he was going through a fixed uh, sorry a mobile speed camera in australia we have them i'm not sure about you guys in the and girls in the states but in australia we have mobile revenue collectors and this speed camera detector guy, you know, they, they, they sit in the car with the camera on the front of it so you can't come past and spray paint the thing without them calling all of their other police mates to arrest you. Um, he just saw this car keep going past and past and past till he thought there's something going on here, this thing must be stolen. Every time it was getting a fine, every time it was amassing like a $800 fine, 25 or six of them or whatever. Unbelievable, but true. And eventually he just called for backup. And the police thought there was something highly illegal going on. And they cordoned off the streets and they arrested this poor guy. I, uh, I think I had a bit of trouble getting that bill paid on that trip. I don't know why, but... Yeah, you know, I saw the guy again over the years, and I oh, kind of shrugged it off. He was walking for a fair while, without a license. Hmm. Another one was uh, there was a great guy. I'm not. I'm not going to mention names here, but he was absolutely fantastic, and he was from the back blocks of Queensland, and he was building cars up in Queensland, and he used to build a production Holden with his name on it, and a lot of them were normally aspirated and quite bloody tough things, too. He used to get things through engineering, and, and you could buy them direct from him with warranties and ADR-complied with, you know, big twin throttles and multiple throttle bodies, and, and he did pretty good. And he was a painter, too, so he could paint these holes of beautiful colours and, and, you know, really give them a, an air of quality. He was a great guy, and he never really liked supercharges much. So any of my mates are into supercharging. We used to talk about, he used to call them Blowerhead. Hey, how's your mate Blowerhead going? And so we'll call this guy Blowerhead, even though he wasn't a big Blower fan. So there it was, I was up in Queensland, I caught the kerosene budgie up there, which is one of those things we don't use anymore. For my American friends, that's an aeroplane. (laughs) Yeah, we don't use them much anymore because uh, that little COVID thing. Um, so I caught the plane up there and drove out in the bush where he was. he had A beautiful workshop, beautiful setup, paint booth, little factory going. And he, so he would call me blow ahead too. Go, hey, blow ahead, strap yourself into this. We need to do some calibration. And it was a VQ Statesman, Holden VQ Statesman or a Caprice or something like that. It was a beauty, five liter. and He bolted a big Sprintex to the top of it, having a few problems with getting it running right up top. Blow ahead. So in I get my interface, plug in where the memcow is, interface to the ECU. You're righto, we're going to do a, a calibration session here. So sure enough, we get out in the open road and watch this blow ahead. e would drive, full throttle, top gear. Well, I'm plugged into it, trying to hang on, trying to bloody for dear life hold onto my laptop and me doing, I don't know, 140, 150 mile an hour and he'd keep his foot into it and he's holding screaming and I'm trying to pull timing out of it and put fuel into it, watching all of the gauges and, uh, yeah, it went ting. I thought, oh, something's gone wrong here. The engine just went off song. It didn't go bang, but the engine just went off song. Yeah, bloody hell blow ahead back to the factory so we cruised this thing back to the factory running on seven not happy still all the rods in it and bearings in it and everything else cruised it back to the factory popped the bonnet and he's digging around under the bonnet i'm sitting there going oh this is going to be good there's another one that's not going to want to pay no he did that he was fine he goes found the problem blow ahead and he pulled a bit of aquarium line or hose out that was going in uh before the supercharger and he had a brass fitting in the end of it rather than just putting a few pinholes in it this guy did it right He was, he's a bit smarter than your average bear but he probably he had a brass fitting that sprayed you know like a like a proper fan and into the front of the blower and you know probably did something um actually interesting interesting this notably enough when we used to um do a fair bit of this water injection you would find with a positive displacement supercharger that if you injected enough water into the front of them that would make more boost because you're sealing the rotors better yeah i don't know what detrimental effects that would have uh, down the track but it's an observation that i made over the years nonetheless so there we are i found it so he's pulled the hose out there's no brass fitting on the end of it i said mate where did the brass fitting go he goes ah just cleaned its teeth blow ahead so there you go the bit of brass went through the engine smashed something bent a valve destroyed the top end on at least one bank but it just cleaned its teeth and that i think i'll remember that forever not so much because i was so terrified sitting in the passenger seat which i will not do anymore on that sort of testing but because it was just such a cool way of you know nailing together what was a total absolute bloody disaster at the time (laughs) other disasters and why i won't sit in passenger seats again calibrating a supercharged commodore something i seem to do a lot of and you know i did hundreds of the bloody things for people back in the day hundreds and yeah this one we were testing out a new fuel system so this one had fuel pressure gauges hanging out from under the bonnet taped to the windscreen in front of me in the passenger seat it had fuel return flow meter on it, had an AFR meter sitting on my lap, an Autronic wideband air fuel ratio meter, had all sorts of things on it. I'm juggling the laptop, and the driver was a bit of an engineer himself, who owned the com- company, and we're belting through another country, to, like out in the back blocks. We weren't actually speeding, so there is no you know, illegality of anything that was going on. And again, I've, I've made all of this up, right? And this was in a car that he had to ship out the very next day to a customer brand new vt hsv i reckon holden powered so before ls1 and he's watching me and i said don't you kick your eyes on the road we're doing like the speed limit and it's quite a windy road it was 110 k's an hour and he's looking at me and he stop looking but he goes i think it's going to run out of fuel pressure here and he looks across at the windscreen in front of me to watch a fuel pressure gauge as he's got it on song. Then he looks up and goes, Oh shit, there's a corner here. So here I am going, oh my god, we're about to spear off the side of the road at 60-70 mile an hour. Luckily, it was out in the scrub, so there wasn't a lot to hit, only a couple of you know, bushes a foot tall, and a lot of sand and red dirt, and off we went. Dropped two wheels, he tried to make the corner. Dropped two L's off in the dirt and spun it backwards through the bush. We didn't dig in and roll, thank God. You know, I'm cursing, going, you idiot, what have you done? You nearly killed us. And he's looking at me going, oh, shit, I've got to deliver this car tomorrow, brother. And I said, "Uh, well, get it back. Luckily, it didn't bend any rims off it or rip any tyres off. I said, get it back to the bloody workshop. Let me out. I'm going home. So anyway, he drove it back to the workshop, let me out. But then the rush was on. It had torn the side skirts off it. And the only side skirts that were there to replace this brand new car that this client was picking up and it damaged exhaust and, you know, scratched all the under tray. So off the side skirts came. Up on the hoist it went. Swap. there was only another car there that was a different colour instead of being like a gunmetal, it was white so none of the skirts or anything were going to be the same, were they? It had damaged the rims, the rims were the wrong colour but we had a donor, he had a donor car so away we went, this was a new production 80 yard car about to go to a client, the client never knew I sat back and watched because I was only the computer nerd thankfully I didn't roll my sleeves up and get involved in any of this duggery. but yeah they had to strip this thing down underneath. They had to re-schutz, you know, re-black the underside of the car. They had to strip the donor car of all of the side skirts, paint them and have them in front of heat lamps for a pickup in less than 24 hours. And they had to mix the paint specially and get crash guys in to, to replace all of the clips and mix the color so that it looked the same. And it didn't look as though this thing had ever been painted and they got it done they got it done and they got the wheels done and tires back on and they got everything done within minutes or an hour say of the guy flying in from interstate and getting a a, a lift transport out to where the vehicle was for pickup and he drove it off never knowing how close it was to being on its roof. so We've got some really good stuff coming up over Christmas. I'm going to do a Christmas special. Um, It's going to be... Oh, I hope you enjoyed that, by the way. I've got many, 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 many more of these stories to tell because I've been around such a bloody long time. But I've got many more to tell, so we will keep telling them. But over Christmas, I'm going to do a little bit of a future piece because, you know, like everyone else out there, as we get older... We tend to get a little bit less gung-ho about things and we tend to worry about things a little bit more. And, you know, I'm kind of worried what's going to happen to the automotive industry and, and the car industry in general. For the cars you and I can buy as legislators change the rules and as things tighten up. But I also want to balance that with the responsibility that we, we really do owe future generations you know my kids aren't interested in cars at all there are a couple of young ladies adults now one of them at least and you know they don't give two hoots as long as the thing starts and runs and stops so is it right that we're destroying or possibly and here's the, that that's the trick isn't it possibly destroying the world for them is there a way we can actually balance the whole situation out so that we can enjoy a petrol see this is an electric you know um, democrat inspired tirade about saving the world this is about balancing things so that we get to enjoy our cars without restrictions and the future generations get to enjoy the world without our scars on it so we're going to have a talk about that and it's going to be fun though it's not going to be some political piece i'm not political i don't care who runs power as long as they don't bloody tax my evs because i will vote against you if you do and i think anyone with half a brain should as well but look thank you for listening today. Thank you for listening to Range Anxiety. The Christmas special is going to be a good one. Hopefully we can get some guests along. But as of now, my lovely wife's taking me out to a restaurant for lunch on this beautiful Saturday because it's my birthday. And we'll talk again very, very soon.